think some folks imagine it would be a lot easier to believe in Jesus if they were around at the time of Jesus, if they'd seen him for themselves, seen him in action. I have my doubts about that because uh, plenty of folk did see Jesus in action and still did not believe. Plenty of folks were around and watching and so on. And besides, it's, believing is really a work of the Spirit in our lives, and the same Holy Spirit then is with us today, making the Word of God come alive to those who receive it in faith. So although I think it doesn't really much of an advantage to um, be around in those days, it, part of me sometimes thinks, wouldn't it be nice to be a fly in the wall just listening in sometimes to some of the conversations that Jesus had with people? Well, we can be, because John in his gospel records a number of those conversations. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's his, his, the gospel is shaped differently, and he gives quite a few of these one-to-one -one and sometimes public conversations that Jesus had with people. And we're going to take a look at uh, a number of these conversations that Jesus had in the, from now until the beginning of Advent looking at these, some of these conversations that happened in John's Gospel. And, and this week we start with the one that Struan read to us in John chapter 3, between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees and Jesus hadn't been getting on terribly well. Pharisees quite often were amongst the folks who were trying to catch Jesus out, trying to trick him. They were resisting what Jesus was trying to do. And in fact, the Pharisees were part of the group that eventually had Jesus crucified. Jesus, for his part, had said some really hard-hitting things about the Pharisees. Called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs at one point, um, and, and so on. So, you know, they weren't on each other's Christmas card list. But Nicodemus, he, he was thinking, ah, well, maybe, maybe. You see, just because Pharisees in general were not in favor of Jesus did not mean that every particular Pharisee had something to complain about. So Nicodemus, he, he goes to Jesus, and we're told that he goes to Jesus at night time. That is, he goes literally under the cover of darkness. Now, and we'll mention this in some of the other um, conversations that Jesus had with people. Quite often, John in his gospel gives you a wee bit of information that's, that's factually true, but also is a, a, a hint at the, what's going on here, a hint at the bigger picture. And when he literally writes, um, Nicodemus came under the cover of darkness, he's saying, yes, it was dark. Nicodemus wasn't wanting the others to see him doing it because Pharisees shouldn't be sort of asking this thing of Jesus. But also, John's making the point, Nicodemus was in darkness. He was still in the dark. He didn't know who Jesus was. He hadn't, the penny hadn't dropped yet. He was a Pharisee, as I've said, so was he religious? Yes. Did Nicodemus believe in God? Yes. Did he pray to God? Yes. Did he give generously to the, to the work of God? Yes. Did he read the scriptures? And it would have been what we call the Old Testament he would have had. Would he have done that? Yes. Was he a decent bloke? Yes. Smart and well-educated? Yes. So what do you think Jesus should be saying to such a guy that turns up? 
would Jesus be saying, oh, great to have you on board. You're just the kind of person we're looking for. Ideal. A number of uh, years ago, a few years ago, um, when I was a student, um, <coughs> big few years ago when I was a student, I remember going to a meeting that had been organized for those of us who were church candidates for the ministry. And um, the speaker that day, uh, that evening, was um, a senior uh, minister, in fact, an ex-moderator of the General Assembly. And he, he was telling us that when he uh, first expressed an interest in being a minister, and this would be, I suppose, well, 1940s, I suppose, when he was a, a young fellow coming forward for the ministry, when he went to be interviewed, what they said to him was, oh, you're just the kind of person we're looking for. Came from a good family, lived in a good bit of town, had been to a posh school, well-educated. But the problem is that, that that's not the kind of thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus here in, in John chapter 3, is it? None of that counts. Jesus goes straight to what Nicodemus doesn't know or doesn't have. He says to him in verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you already tick all the boxes, you're already doing all the right things. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Just as you cannot live on this planet without first having been born, so you cannot be part of the family of God, cannot be part of the kingdom of God, cannot know God without being born again. That's what Jesus said. And just in case we think Jesus made a mistake, verse 3, he repeats it again, verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So it's the water or the flesh representing natural birth, the Spirit being spiritual birth, and notice that he makes no exceptions. No one, he said, verse 3, can see the kingdom. No one, verse 5, can enter the kingdom. That is, it's not the case that some of us enter the kingdom of God by being good, upright, decent people. And then there's some not quite so... Sorry, I didn't look at the, you guys in particular. Then there's some not quite so, so nice, not quite some good people that need a bit of extra, extra help from God. You know, it's not as if there's two, two different ways into the kingdom. There's only one. No one, said Jesus, verse 3 and verse 5, can enter unless they're born again. Now, the term born again has been loaded with a lot of baggage over the years. There are some who overuse it, make it into some kind of mantra, forgetting or overlooking that the New Testament has many other ways of describing how someone becomes a Christian. The term born again never comes up in Matthew or Mark or Luke, and it doesn't come either in any of Paul's letters. In fact, the nearest Paul gets to it are the verses that I read at the beginning of the service from 2 Corinthians 5 when he does talk about being a new creation. And then there are others who caricature it as being some kind of experience or something that describes some Christians and not others. But Jesus said we all have to be born again. 
And so my usual response, if someone asks if I'm a born-again Christian, is simply to ask, what other kinds are there? None of us make ourselves Christians by being good. None of us make ourselves Christians by trying hard. Nicodemus was out there. He was, he was trying harder than the rest of us. That's the way the Pharisees lived. But it wasn't enough. Jesus said, you have to be born again. Each of us, all of us, can only become one of Jesus' followers when we are made alive by His Spirit, when we are given the life of God. And I'll come back to this, but I wonder, how did we get from Jesus saying that to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John's Gospel? How did we get from that to church leaders doing an interview for people going into the ministry saying, you tick all the boxes, you've been to the right school, you've, you've had the right education, you're the correct kind. How, how has that happened? It's a crucial event that has to happen that we come to confess faith in Christ and trust Him. That response is essential. Now, Nicodemus was a religious man. He was an educated man. He was a smart man. And, but as I say, he was in the dark and he was clearly at a loss. How can someone be born when they're old? Verse 4. How can this be? Verse 9. And Jesus pointed out that he was teaching not something that he discovered by studying hard or something that he uh, found out because he was more clever than Nicodemus. He was saying he knew this because he himself, verse 13, had come to us from God. That is, Jesus had spoken to us from first-hand awareness of who God is and what God does. Now, of course, there can be and there are many questions and many objections and difficulties about believing in Jesus. How can a God of love send anyone to hell? How can God allow injustice? Why is there so much suffering in the world? But faith in Jesus is not being able to answer all of these questions tidily or accepting a list of ideas that explains everything. Rather, it is the response of personal trust towards Jesus himself. Now, Jesus is explaining and pointing this out to Nicodemus, and he uses verses 14 and 15 he uses uh, an example that Nicodemus would know quite well. Nicodemus, as I said, read the Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. And so Jesus refers to um, a passage that's in Numbers chapter 21, where the people of, of Israel had been in the wilderness, and some of them had been beaten, bitten by snakes. And Moses was told to make a bronze serpent and to hold it up on the pole. And those who had been bitten, if they looked at the bronze serpent, then they would be healed from the snake bite. How does that work? We don't know. It was simply that was what God had provided and that's what they had to do. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, we might not know everything. We might not know how the Spirit moves and how the Spirit works. Well, it's a bit like the wind blowing, he'd said earlier in the chapter. But the key thing is not whether you know how it works. The key thing is whether you look to Christ. The key thing is whether you look to these guys who, in Numbers 21, looked to the bronze serpent. That's what was essential. They didn't have to know everything about how it was operating. They simply had to look and trust. 
And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to all of us who are, as it were, eavesdropping on this conversation that's recorded for us in the chapter. Okay, you might not know everything about how it all works, but the key thing is to look to Christ and to trust him and to ask Christ to, to be our Lord It's not vital that we understand everything about sin, judgment, hell, and salvation. But that we look to Christ. And that way, verse 16, he says, we need not perish, but have everlasting life. So, what makes the difference between having or not having eternal life? Jesus spoke clearly, and it's again in verses 18 to 21 about some people preferring darkness and some, on the other hand, coming into the light. Everyone here has had natural birth, but that does not mean that we've all received the spiritual birth that Jesus talked of with Nicodemus. Some are born again, receive the light, come to Jesus, are forgiven by God, and become citizens of God. But it's only if we look to Christ and trust Him. We do not get the new life that Jesus is talking about here in this chapter by being good. Nicodemus was good. We don't get that new life that Jesus is talking about by being religious. Nicodemus was religious. We don't get that new life that Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus by trying to obey God's laws. Nicodemus was trying hard to obey God's laws. We don't get it by being decent and respectable. Nicodemus was decent and respectable. None of these are essential. Jesus could hardly be making it clearer. He said it's believing in him, trusting him, looking to him. So what would you say if someone asked if you'd been born again? Did you realize or indeed do you realize that it's the only way into the kingdom of God? Verse 3 and verse 5. Do you realize that it's not an experience or a feeling that we have to pursue, but rather a, a Lord to trust, a truth to believe? Jesus saves sinners. Experiences follow after that. Jesus wasn't telling Nicodemus everything about being one of his followers. How could he in one conversation? What he was doing is saying to Nicodemus, And to all of us who, through reading John's gospel, are eavesdropping into the conversation, is that the step of trust in Jesus, coming to faith in him, and accepting that he is his Savior sent into the world by God, verse 16, is where new life, spiritual life, salvation, the life of the kingdom of God begins. And you cannot bypass it. You cannot say, well, I'm scared of that stuff, or I don't want anything to do with that stuff, but I'll make up for it by making sure I fill in an extra Christmas box this year. It doesn't work like that. You can't say, well, I don't really want that that life of this Holy Spirit. I don't really want that that born-again thing, so I'll double what I put into my offerings. It doesn't work like that. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done for us. And our complete and total reliance on that. Now, I think it's gobsmacking. 
And I'm ashamed of it. That hundreds of years later, there were leaders in the church saying the opposite. Well, you've been to the right school. You take the right boxes. You're just the person we're looking for. I'm embarrassed that the church has done things like that. But at least it gives us something that should be a warning. The guys who said that were themselves. They'd been to hundreds of services. Thousands of services, maybe. They'd led in prayer. And yet they hadn't got it. So even if you've been coming to Claremont for 30, 40, 50 years, that doesn't mean you've necessarily got it. So you have to answer that for yourselves and your own minds and your own hearts. Have you got it? You must be born again. No one enters the kingdom of God any other way, says Jesus. Is that what I've done? Is that what I'm trusting to? And just as much as these guys in the desert with Moses in Numbers 21, didn't they have a chance unless they looked up at the snake being held up? So too none of us, no matter how good we think we've been, no matter how much we think we've done, none of us has a chance unless we look to Christ on the cross and say, that's it, that's my salvation. He's my saviour.